Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. Could you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? Hello, Scott Jesky. How are you? Hey, Zach. I'm good. How are you? I'm great because I have one of my best friends coming on my podcast to talk about his journey, and I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about it. Likewise, man. I'm stoked to be on here. It's been a while since we've actually had you, like, interviewed you about your own career. Of yes. course, we talk basically almost every day, if not every, you know, yeah, if not every, every day, every week, for sure. Yeah. But um, I think we're at a, you are at a very interesting point in your filmmaking journey very early. Uh-huh. I'm not, which I think you'd agree with. Um, How dare you? But very, but a good, an incredible place to talk about um, the struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's been, I think, positive, but you, I think you'd agree that it's also been a bit of a struggle. Absolutely. Um, and there's a, but in a pot, again, in a positive way, it's not like you haven't had, it's not, um, has it been live or die, you know, ap- yeah, you've been pretty comfortable out in LA, but right. you're still doing the grind every day. And uh, it's been a slow but and methodical process. Yeah. So um, let's talk when I know, but for those listening, when did you move out to LA from Northern yeah. Virginia? So um, yeah, so two and about two and a half years ago. Um, and basically, um, so it was interesting, because I think and we've probably talked about this and I'm sure it's been on your radar at different points. And I'm sure it is for most filmmakers is like LA slash Hollywood is kind of that, like, it feels like that inevitable thing, yep. especially like, you know, for us growing up in the nineties and two thousands, like when, it, you know, not that we're like super old or anything, but I think that nowadays, you know, with technology and everything else, like the, the, what the indie film industry looks like and what it can be is a lot different from when we were growing up. So as a kid, you know, like LA was sort of this inevitable thing. And I think I always assumed that I would um, end up there. But then, um, you know, as I went to school options sort of like wound down, it's like, oh, I can't really afford to go there or I didn't get into here. Um, So I went to George Mason and went to film school there. Right. And then the goal from there was like, you know, I want to get married. I want to support my family. And I also, I think, um, you know, I still wanted to be a director uh, slash filmmaker, but it, the priority at the time was sort of like pay off school loans and maybe like posture myself in a job to where I could like afford to maybe pay for my first indie film or whatever. Like I didn't exactly know what it would be and nobody does, but then a couple of years went by and um, I was fortunate to sort of pay off my debts and um, was living a very comfortable, frankly, great life um, in Virginia. But I think, you know, my wife and I kind of reached this point of like, is, is the idea of going to Hollywood, is that something we need to be thinking about? And I forget what the impetus was for that. I think like one of my coworkers had lived in California and he would talk about that a good amount. And he was like, you should think about that. Um, 
And so it was back to that sort of like inevitable thing that, you know, we've all experienced. And so, you know, you, you know, you go through a process of think about it, pray about it, see what happens and sort of like all the, all the signs and all the doors were sort of opening and pointing to like, yeah, you need to go out there. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and Micah, our friend Micah, mutual friend had gone out, um, two years before for writing. So that made it feel a lot more, um, possible mm -hmm. because, because I could kind of see his path and I could see the path of some of our other friends, um, who had moved out there. Um, but, but yeah, we, we were like, okay, let's do this. And then it became real. And then you, um, you know, you go through all the stuff of like, once it's real, you get the zippy pod and you get rid of like pretty much everything you own. Cause it doesn't really make sense to move it with you. And you save a lot of money. Ideally, uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't, and that's yeah. a big problem out here. Um, and then, yeah, my wife and I, we quit our jobs and, um, we drove across the country and, um, we, I'll sensationalize my story and say that we were homeless for two weeks. Um, <laughs> Staying in an Airbnb, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, that's like the classic, I mean, not to disparage anyone else, but that's like the, the classic narrative of like, when you move out to LA, I was homeless for two weeks. And it's like, you just mean that you were living off your savings for two weeks or whatever. Right. But anyway, yeah. So we lived in an Airbnb and long story short, like we got super uh, lucky slash blessed with the um, apartment that we found in like a neighborhood that we loved. And, um, you know, we were able to pay for it uh, through savings. Most most people would ask for I don't know if this is like all way too in the weeds, but no, no, no. Let's get in the weeds. All righty. Um, you know, when you when you come out to L.A., like most places will ask for um, proof of employment which like I totally understand, but it's such a weird kind of paradox for Los Angeles because everyone is a right. freelancer pretty much. Um, so we were like, Oh, well, we can't do that. We don't have jobs. And then, so finally we found this place in Los Feliz that we love and um, long and short, they were like, okay, well, do you have savings? And we are like, yeah. And they're like, do you have this much? And we are like, yeah. And they're like, okay. Let's oh, do it. Okay. So we moved in here and we still didn't have jobs for months. Um, but uh, yeah, fortunately, after a few months, my wife got an amazing job. Um, and then I was able to sort of parlay some of my old tech company contacts and um, do contract work and sort of maintain that part time uh, work. Um, so I don't know if I like. Yeah, I don't know if that. I mean, that was you know, question. it answered a whole bunch of different questions. Uh, I guess, <laughs> how, you know, um, what was the discussion with? Because your wife Eliza is not deep into film or anything like that. Um, what was, I guess, the discussion with her about? I mean, because you're going out to pursue mainly your yeah. dream, yeah, and in a marriage that's you know, it, it's both of you guys. So what was? Yeah that discussion that has been kind of the amazing um thing throughout this whole journey is like you know i i always say i'm amazed at people who come out here and 
they basically like have so much faith in themselves and in their abilities that they're like, I'm coming out here with $500 and I'm going to hit it big on Hollywood Boulevard and whatever else. I'm like, I, you know, as a, it's not that I like, I'm a secure person. It's not that I'm like a super insecure person, but I'm like, I have realized over the years, I'm not Steven Spielberg. You know, when I was a little kid, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be the next Steven Spielberg. I hope I will be. But like, you know, when you look at what you've made, you're like, this is good, but it's not like what's in my head. You know, it's not on the level I'd love for it to be. So all that to say, I'm like, how do people have that kind of faith in themselves that they're like, I'm just going to make it because I'm the most talented person ever. And so the amazing, I would say, blessing of this all is like my wife has just been a total rock. Like she, she is constantly like, you are talented. Like, I believe in you. Like, I've read your stuff. I've watched your stuff. Um, I know the way you interact with people and I've seen you on set. And she's like, you know, you have what it takes and I believe in you. So like her, um, you know, her faith in all that has, has been a big part of keeping me going. Cause I'm like, okay, <laughs> if you're, cause it's a much bigger leap of faith for her. And right. I, we've probably talked about this, but like, she, you know, she has to, yeah, to your point, like she has to believe in me and she has to believe in my abilities and she has. And I think early on too, you know, when we made the decision to come out here, it was something we had talked, we were talking about like over the course of a year. And then we reached a point where we were like, okay, let's visit LA mm-hmm. um, and stop talking about it. Because, you know, if we go out there and we hate it, then we can put this whole thing to bed. But if not, like, let's check it out and see if we actually like it. And um, I think you're a little bit like this. I'm very much like Northern Virginia is a really nice place. and yeah frankly, there are not a lot of places like it. Like it's really, you know, there's, there's a lot of wealth there. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity to like, to make good money and have a nice house and whatever else. And like, it's a very squeaky clean, like beautiful, really well taken care of place. And so there are not a lot of places that I visited where I'm like, I could see myself living here. Right. And <laughs> disclaimer, Los Angeles is not bad. Los Angeles <laughs> is the opposite. Los Angeles is, is beautiful. Like the place is beautiful, but it's like so terribly taken care of. That's a right. whole other uh, sidebar, but, and it's very expensive and there's a lot of issues, but against all odds, when we visited, I was like, I kind of like, really like this place. And like, mm-hmm. I, could actually see myself living here. And Eliza was like, yeah, me too. Um, which is crazy because it like could not be any more different. And right. and LA is a very polarizing place. And also like depending on where you visit, it, it can be like the most terrible place ever or the greatest place ever. So yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of disparity between many things. Yes. Out absolutely. There. Absolutely. So um when you guys got out there, you got in, you got settled into your uh, apartment and whatnot. I mean, was it, what was the majority feeling? Excitement or anxiety, you know? <laughs> Both. Both. Um, man, it's so funny because I like, you know, I feel like I'm at a very different place now where like at that time, I, I look back on that time with a lot of fondness because... 
Um, you know, I mean, frankly, when we were living in the Airbnb, not to like dramatize our story or whatever, but like we'd wake up every morning and we'd be like, we should like just pray because like we have we are in control of nothing right, right now. Um, and so there was like there was definitely like an anxiety every morning. And then we'd be like, OK, all right, now let's like apply for jobs and like do all that stuff. And then, um, but, uh, you know, once you kind of get settled in, like you have work and those kinds of things, there's so much like excitement. There's so much possibility. Cause you're like, I just got here and, and right. everybody's like, oh, you're new to LA and whatever else. And, um, and, and it's la la land. Like it really is when you first move out. Cause you're just, it couldn't be any more different from where you came from. And, um, you know, people start to visit you and, you know, you're showing off your neighborhoods and different things like that. Um, so, and all of that changes over time, the la la land of it all sort of fades away, unfortunately, yeah. but yeah, early on, it's like, it's also kind of like, you know, I think you and I are both like Spielberg nuts. And so mm -hmm. it's like that there's like that weird kind of Spielberg feeling about every, like sort of the ET neighborhoods and the, right. um, the, the Amblin sort of like suburbia. Um, that right. you see on like the lots and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Is that so? Were you? Did it take you a little bit of time to kind of delve down into being comfortable getting to work on your own work when you got there? Yeah. Well, so that's a good question because I think. Um, that was like an interesting part of my journey with moving out here is, um, you know, it's different for everybody. And, and I have kind of like a range of opinions about when and why and if you should move to Los Angeles. And for me, um, what was kind of interesting was I had heard a lot of good advice, thankfully, and kind of done enough research to know, like, don't come out here without a portfolio. Mm -hmm. Because especially as a director, like you, you have all the production value elsewhere, like you right. can get and, and everybody's heard this a million times, I'm sure. But like, you can get cheap locations, you can get people excited about your projects, whatever, elsewhere in Los Angeles, it's a lot harder. Now there are pros and cons, because, you know, if you pay, you can get some incredible, like, very interesting locations, and they, people know the drill kind of thing. There's a lot of crew out here. Um, frankly, equipment and studios are really, I, I think, way cheaper to rent mm -hmm. out here than most places in DC or wherever. Um, so I don't remember where I was going with well, that. Well, just getting into the, how long did it take you to really buckle down once you moved out there and you got into your place? Oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. refocus and say like, uh, I have to write today. Yeah. I have yeah. to work on something. Yeah. So, so there are all those pros and cons and, and I, I kind of came out with like, I'm going to come out here with a portfolio um, and I'm going to be ready and I'm going to have a website and I'm going to have business cards and all these things. And a lot of it is like, you know, it's uh, you don't know what you don't know. And you come in with all this kind of earnestness and the, the town jades you a little bit after not too long, but I think I came out with the right idea. Unfortunately, in my case, you know, I had made, I had written my first feature and I uh, made a proof of concept short film and I'm still really proud of the short film. And I think it accomplished like exactly what I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. 
but a big issue was it very much hinged on the context of the feature and the <laughs> uh, to all writers out there or directors um your first script is going to be bad yeah like that's just i'm sorry like you, unless you spend like 10 years on it and you've written other scripts and you come back to it like um but pretty much like your first script is going to be bad um and that was the case with my first script. Like, I'm proud that I finished a feature, but um, yeah, so it wasn't great. And so you come out there and you're like, oh, I don't really have the portfolio that I thought I did. So you right. have to keep making shorts. And then um, in terms of the writing, so with my work situation, basically part of my agreement with myself and with my wife was like, I'm not going to, because a lot of people are like, well, have you gotten a job yet? You know, like that's the question they ask. Right. And I'm like, I'm not trying to get a quote unquote job. Like I, you know, uh, retire. You're trying to get a career going. Ex yeah, exactly. And you have to be flexible. Like that's yeah. such a huge thing. And so it was like, I want contract work. I want freelance work. Um, I don't want a nine to five. And also, you know, like the whole assistant thing is tricky too, because like, on one hand, you know, the assistant path out here can open doors um, or you can garner connections and stuff. And that that is certainly a path. Like, I'm not at all diminishing that. Like, it's definitely a path and it's definitely worked for a lot of people, depending on what you want to do. Right. But, Including Micah, who is yeah. out there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen I've seen it work for a lot of friends. But I found for me, it was like, if I you know, in giving 60 plus hours to an assistant job that frankly, I probably won't be very good at, like I'm right. not a great administrator or whatever, um, then I'm not writing or whatever. And I don't have time for that. Like I don't have, and not in an arrogant way. I'm just saying like, I can't commit five years to not be producing shorts right. or a feature or scripts or whatever. Right. So yeah. So like my kind of, when I came out here, it was like, it was like, dude, you, okay, you're working part-time. Part you are passing up a lot of money from your previous job. So you better be working your butt off writing. And, um, and so I have been. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, and it's hard. There are definitely days where you're like, I don't know. Like, I just don't have the ideas or like, I'm like, I really don't want to write right now or whatever. But like, it's, it's such a luxury and right. not, and, and I'm not, none of this is like humble bragging or anything like that. It's like, when I talk to other people, they're like, wow, you have the fact that you have time to be writing and working on projects and like building a portfolio is like, is amazing. So I'm very blessed in that regard. Was the, like to get really personal, I mean, sure. Was the, because I know you, you, you and Eliza spent a lot of time working off of your, your student loans back here in right. Northern Virginia. And you were working, you know, a really a couple of them. But the last one I remember being like a really, really tough corporate video gig that was really frustrating for you. But it was, I think, especially the last six months to a year was very much. I knew you were working to plug away savings so that yeah. you had that when you went out there, um, which is. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're correct. We think all along the same lines, very much of like, I think neither one of us like the idea of the starving artist. Right, exactly. Um, and I, I think that's that. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a bad... Oh, gosh. There's so much, like, bad misinformation that, like, that uh, feeds these terrible, like, cottage industries and stuff. And just for clarification, you know, like, that that job was, like... it, it it was a wonderful job. Like it was a dream job for a corporate job. But I think the hard thing for me was having these goals, these creative goals. And, you know, you give yourself creatively to your job and you have to, you know, like you want to do a good job or whatever. And so at the end of the day, when you're trying to write your feature or whatever, you're like, uh, I don't have any of that creative juice left. Right. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Um, but yeah, like the, the misinformation now here of like, I think these these stories that people tell of like I came out here with 200 bucks and you know whatever that's not I mean granted like that's a very romantic story if it works and if you're right. a hard worker and you make connections and you do knuckle down and get a job but like you know frankly I I know a lot of uh of friends who are literally homeless because that was kind of the story that was told to them and they believed it. And yeah, to your point, save your money people. If you're coming to Los Angeles. Well, and it's also a, like we've heard that we heard that growing up in the era of listening to all the director's commentaries and, you know, yeah. But the other thing that you kind of realize is, well, everyone who's telling that story is successful. Yeah. You're not yeah. hearing the people that so have true. done that who haven't been successful. And there's probably double, if not quintuple, the amount of people that have done that and not found success to get onto a podcast to be interviewed because of their success, yes. you know? Yeah. And you need to calculate that in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, you know, I just like, I remember being post uh, right out of school, even really, really stressing about the idea of like going off to LA or um, going off to LA or New York. And at one point I was like, I had like a breakdown in a movie theater because just the stress of the idea of being not having any money in a in a new city, you know, and feeling like you're up against a wall because you're, it's like, well, Everyone's telling me I have to do that. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. And the question is why? Like, I think you, maybe you do, but it, uh, it totally depends for me. Like the, the thing was, here's the thing too. And this is what I would say to everyone, um, is do your research and figure out, like, figure out what you want to do, have a very clear idea of what you want to do. Also, because if you do make contacts, everyone's going to ask you that. Right. And then if you say, well, I want to be a editor, DP, you know, every single thing ever, they're going to be like, uh, because so much of this industry is about connecting the dots, right? especially for representation. That's their job is connecting the dots. So they want to be like, Zach is my sci-fi horror guy, right. you know, and it's, and like the, you want to be pigeonholed early on because you right. want to be the expert, you know? Um, so I think like, with the whole Los Angeles thing, like a huge part of it is just knowing what your goals are. And for me, you know, uh, now I want to be more of a writer director and I really enjoy writing. And, and I, I really love the kind of the Duffer brothers path of like, you know, they, they have a big say on what they're creating and they got in through writing, but they're also directing and um, kind of have their hands in both. You know, I would love a path like that, but right. 
um, and I found some success in writing. Uh, but you know, I, the main goal is to direct. And what I found with that is like to be directing, you need to be where the industry is because you need to be in the meetings. You need to be pitching. You need to be, you know, set up for jobs and whatever else. On the flip side though, what I've learned from the mouth of actual, you know, um, executives or managers or whatever, if you're like, let's say you're a feature writer and your dream is to write features, nothing else. Mm. You feasibly do not have to move to LA ever. Um, and some people don't. Now, it, it that also depends because if you get to a point where, you know, you're, you want to be pitching on open writing assignments or whatever, then right. it's valuable. But, but um, you know, like managers that I've talked to, they represent people who live all over the place. And um, yeah, it just totally depends. Like if you're selling a spec or your manager's selling a spec, you don't necessarily have to be in LA and you can come out when, when the time comes. Right. Um, now, if you're a writer and you want to be on TV or writing TV shows, you have to be out here. So right. it, that's a big thing is like, do your research. Like, don't just think that, if you move to LA, you're going to get all this heat and doors are going to open and you know, whatever. Right. Right. Cause there's a million other people that are working at the same goal or not working at the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess what, uh, since, cause you've done, you've been doing a lot of writing, but you've also done another short since you moved to LA. Yeah. Um, which is one of the best shorts you've done. Um, it was very good. Um, talk about kind of who, talk about where you are right now. Um, one of the primary goals for me was, and, and maybe I'm totally wrong. And <laughs> maybe my first goal is the wrong goal, but the sort of like benchmark break in goal for me is to get representation. Now, early on, that was like, get a manager or an agent. Now I'm like, I don't need an agent until I need an agent. Like you don't, you don't need, nobody needs an agent until they're signing on the dotted line. And right. if you have a manager, they'll make that happen for you when the time is right anyway. So it's right. like, okay, so I need a manager. But then it's asking the question, like, are you, you need a manager to get to where you want to be, like to get into rooms and pitch and stuff. But have you done the work to get yourself to that place? Mm -hmm. And Frankly, you know, when I first moved out here with my, you know, whatever, whatever portfolio I had, no, I was not ready. Like I didn't have a lot of, you know, I've, I've made hundreds of shorts since I was a little kid, but I did not have a lot of shorts that would justify me directing the next bad robot movie right. or whatever. Um, so there's that. And then writing wise, I had one bad feature script. So, and the truth is, and, um, and Connor told me this, who was on the podcast previously, he's a Connor, Connor. mutual, mutual friend and writer, you know, I was asking about querying and stuff like that. This was probably a couple of years ago now. Um, and he had said, like, build out your portfolio, like have mm -hmm. at least two or three, at least really good scripts. Um, and he was completely right. Um, because kind of where I've been now was um, I'm kind of trying both paths of like every year I'm trying to do at least one or two shorts. And I sort of now know what it takes to get shorts um, 
in front of people. Yeah. And it's, I mean, frankly, it's um, getting them on publications. Right. And I've had some success with that. You know, my last short was um, featured on io9, which was like a huge highlight for me. Um, you know, I didn't get any, didn't get any calls or anything like that, but it was still like, it was a cool sort of validation. Yeah. Um, and then writing wise, you know, the, the quickest way to, I, I think maybe I'm totally wrong. I think the quickest way to figure out, like, are you even good is contests. Yeah. And I think even prior to contests, having people read your stuff and, um, getting coverage on it and like, uh, and Connor said this to me too. I was kind of like, do you think this whole, I mean, there are all these cottage industries where you pay money for pitches or whatever. And it's like, is this all a scam? And he, and he had said, you know, I think to, to extent it, it is a pay to play industry. Now I say that, and I agree, but I say that with caution where like, you know, the, the paying aspect, like if you're paying for an exec to, to look at your pitch, it's, you're not paying an exec to look at your pitch that is illegal and anyone who wants you know you to pay for them to represent you or whatever is like run away as fast as you can that's a right. complete scam you're paying this service like you're paying for time basically and you're paying for access and it's it's not that much um and it's the same thing with contests or coverage or whatever you're basically getting eyes on your material mm -hmm. and i would say what i found is like budget for that because a lot of people are like well i don't have any money or whatever and it's like if you're making a short film like honestly and you know this like some of these short films that we like watch and we're like oh this is amazing and they're on all these publications and stuff people drop like 50 grand on them right right and at that point it's like you're paying to play you know right. um yeah you're so, paying to play making a film anyways yeah, exactly. So it's like invest in yourself. Look at it that way. When you're pay for the contests, but also do your research on which are the best contests. Um, and then also do your research on like what they can do for you. Um, and then also like make sure your script is actually good. Like right. don't, I think we all kind of have that thing where like we, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I think we've all had at least maybe one contest submission or something where you're like, I know what's wrong with this script, but I hope they don't know. And <laughs> right, I hope right. they love it. And that's not going to be the case. If you know what's wrong with it, they'll know what's wrong with it. So make sure it's good. So anyway, um, yeah. So those have been kind of the two avenues that I've been going. And um, long and short, um, I did sort of this class with a manager. Um, and sort of, it was basically like, an exec will read your whole feature and you'll have a class with five people for one week for two hours. And then the next week after they give you notes, you'll bring your material back to them and they'll look at, you know, your revisions and they'll let you know kind of where you're at. Um, and so in this case, and, you know, I, I had done my research on the manager, like he's a very legitimate manager. He sold specs to all the big, studios and networks and stuff and there are variety articles about him and whatever and um so that was a cool thing where it was just like i know this script is really good but like the log line's not cutting it for like for whatever pe people for whatever reason people aren't interested in it but i'm right. like 
but my voice is there. It's a good script. Like I just want someone to read the whole script. So he read the whole script. We had the class. He basically was like, this is really good. You know, here are the, you know, it has some timeliness issues. Like it's not really timely. It sort of feels like it's made in a bubble, but like your voice is there. It's really funny, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, long and short, um, I got an email from him after class and he basically was like, hey, I really liked your script. What else are you working on? Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, you know, uh, that's like the the golden ticket question is like, they're basically saying, you're a good writer and I'll read whatever, you know, whatever else you send my way. But that goes back to the, the Connor discussion, which is like, suddenly you have this panic of like, what else do I have? Right. Like, yeah. You know, and what else am I working on? And, and that's where it's like, be ready for that. Like, you know, you might have a really good script, but then what else do you have? Unfortunately, like I had a good pilot. I had another script that was in good shape. It's not like, it's not an amazing script, but the writing's good. Mm-hmm. So long and short, he read a bunch of my material and he was like, you have the chops. Like, I can't sell any of these things. Like, these are not spec ready for the spec market, but like you have the chops, like, would you be interested in continuing to talk? Yeah. And that's like, that's been, I mean, man, I've learned so much through that and through those discussions over the past few months. Like, I don't know where it's going. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'll get signed at some point. Um, but I also, you know, it opens your eyes to like, you're not ready until you're ready as much as you want to be. Right. So, right. So I had written like a fantasy pilot, um, very kind of, you know, E.T. meets Lord of the Rings, sort of. Of course, there's the Stranger Things comparison. Right. <sighs> <laughs> but uh, but that that um, script did really well in contests and um, got some good buzz. And then I had written another feature, sort of like horror thriller thing that was sort of meant for Blumhouse. Um, and that... Uh, long and short, like the, the conceit was like fun, but it was sort of contrived. So the script didn't, it's a well-written script that doesn't really work basically because there was too much sort of pipeline in the beginning. Uh, Um, and then I had written, you know, my latest feature, a bloody affair, which is very contained, very much written to be something that I could direct. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, it's very funny and, but there's lots of twists and turns and, and uh, yeah. And where that's kind of left me is, and sort of uh, the manager's take on this. And, and I see his point is it's, you know, it's this fun little, my sister called it a, a perfect little jewel box where it's like, it's just sort of, it's this great little thing that's fun and works really well and it's tight, but it's not like, doesn't really connect to the cultural conversation. If you sure. Will. Um, so it's not, and that's kind of the, um, the spec market. I've learned a lot about the spec market, which is very specific and it's mm. very specific, like what they're looking for. Um, mind numbingly. So, and meaning another it's, interesting, meaning it's looking on. for what's in the cultural zeitgeist right now. Or it's trying to get ahead of that or, um, or there's just the, the interesting thing is I think like you you hear a lot of these horror stories about executives and whatever else. And like, um, but the interesting thing is 
a good manager or whatever, they know what else is out there. And they've like, they're reading so many scripts and they are having conversations with these producers and these executives of like, we've seen that boring. We've seen that. And the true, and the crazy thing is no matter how amazing and original you think your idea is, it's probably either been done or someone else is doing it, which is like really frustrating, but it's also like, it's sobering because you know, you need to be the best and you need like, you can't just settle for something mediocre and hope someone likes it. Right. So yeah, the whole spec market is very fascinating. And how have you been learning about the spec market? So um, sort of the next steps uh, with this manager that I've been talking to has been, he, he basically was like, would you be interested in brainstorming um, sort of your next thing? Because um, he and I had talked and he said, sort of my, my thoughts for you is you have this script. It's really good. You want to direct it. You probably should direct it. Um, let's, let's see if you can come up with a good spec and get it around town, get you some fans, you know, with producers and execs. And then, you know, once you have your fans from that spec that they're all chomping at the bit for you, you know, they're going to ask what else does this guy have? And, right. and, you know, or they might be interested in producing your, a bloody affair script. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the thing is like, that makes sense. And like the hard frustrating part about that is, you know, like the gut reaction to that is basically like, Oh, so, you know, like I basically am not necessarily repable until I have something that's sellable, right. but like that makes sense, you know? Um, right. And also it's like, and this is the thing too, is I think everybody wants the shortcut and you have to kind of ask yourself why, because the thing is like where I'm at right now. So right now I'm develop. I, I had been developing ideas with this manager. I had pitched like 35 log lines to him and uh, all of which were no's. And this is the interesting thing. And this is, this goes back to the spec market thing is that a lot of them, <laughs> I think were really good ideas. Um, and I was really excited for, and I'm like, I know what that movie is and I've never seen it before. And most of the reasons his nose were nose was because he's like, well, I have seen something similar or my clients working on something similar, or, you know, this studio just bought this thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that's an interesting thing. And so he, he very much like set parameters of like, it needs to be like, let's look at these genres. Let's look at these kinds of leads, you know? Um, mm. So it's not like for him, it's not chasing trends, but it's sort of being like, this is the way to be, to fill sort of the void that the people void. are actively looking for. Gotcha. Um, so that's all interesting. And it's hard because you're like, you're kind of like, what? But these ideas are genius and you should love them and whatever else. And the truth is, so going back to what I was saying before of like, everybody wants the shortcut and you know i find it frustrating because of like i'm like well i would love to say my manager or i have a manager or whatever else but the truth is i need to be writing the next thing anyway right like every writer even if you have a great script or two great scripts you need to have another and then you need to have another so it's been it's been great in that sense of like you know and and everybody wants that guidance too like nobody wants to um 
nobody wants to spend months on something that nobody wants, you know? Right. right. And that's the thing. You might write an amazing script that nobody wants. And, so. and that's what I was going to get at was he, his, he's making it easier for you in the end. Cause he's looking for that void to fill instead of spending all, instead of having you spend all of this time on stuff that is just going to bounce off the wall and not hit a target. Exactly. He's refining exactly. your accuracy, basically. Exactly. Which, yeah, which feels frustrating. And it's and honestly, it feels frustrating and it's sobering because you, you just want to be able to like, <laughs> you know, it's hard enough getting people to understand like your, where you're at in this industry or whatever. And so you want to be able to say like, I'm a director or I'm a writer. I have a manager or right. whatever. And so to kind of say like the manager I'm talking to, you know, <laughs> right. and it's called, and like, you know, it's a thing. And that's the thing too, is I've talked to other people. They're like, that's not out of the ordinary. Like it can be frustrating, but it's not a bad thing. Cause he, he's obviously interested in your work. Yeah. Um, so the man, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird business, but it all kind of points to like doing the work um, and accepting that you have to do the work, you know, right. and not being averse to that. Is writing and directing the absolute goal? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I, um, it's a good question. Uh, look, I, I mean, I, I asked that. Oh, I asked that because uh, personally, the more and more I've been thinking about it, the more and more I've been going through getting through harmony and trying to get that to a finish line, the more and more I'm like, I don't want to write. Yeah. The next, like, I do not want to do that. Uh, I yeah. would be super excited about directing another's ideas or scripts. Yeah. And that's a, and producing it too. Like yeah. I really like producing and then getting into it. Um, I do, you know, writing is not something that I want to pursue all that much. Yeah. And I think it's sort of, um, I totally relate to that. And I think it's sort of a mix of both where it's like, um, on the one hand, if somebody had an amazing script, I would love to just direct it right. because there's a fun to like interpreting it and being like, and also having that passion, like you're in that honeymoon phase with it and you're like, what can I do with this? Right. On the other hand, like, you know, you write a script and you're kind of like, I'm so over this script. Yep. And there's also like, I would love, like the thing I'm uh, writing right now, I'm like, I would love to see another director do this. Like, I don't mm. want to direct this. Uh, I mean, I would. <laughs> right, <laughs> given, right, right. Given the opportunity for sure. But um, yeah. And, and then, you know, in the middle ground of all that, like, you know, sometimes you write something that you love and you're like, only I could direct this. Yeah. But I don't think that's true, though. I, I always hear writers say that where they're like, I've reached a point where I was like, only I could direct this. And I'm like, well, then you didn't do a good job writing it. Right. Because that's not, <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I hear what you're saying where it's like, there's a bunch of people that could direct a bunch of things. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's, but that's another thing where it's like, you have to wrap your head around the fact that like someone else, like, even you or Griffin or all the other directors in the group, like you guys are going to do every, every page that we've ever generated together or separate. Yeah. We would tackle differently. Yeah. The own, but what's funny is whoever, when we're on each other's sets, 
um, we can visualize what the other is thinking. (laughs) You know, like we understand the references. Like if you're saying like, we're doing this, like, I don't know, we're doing, we're doing a, yeah, this is a Spielberg (laughs) one-er. Yeah. Then I understand how you're executing it. Even if I wouldn't immediately jump to it. Totally. Totally. And that's, so it all comes down to, and we talk, Griffin and I talk a lot about like true detective, something that's, so execution based, not mm-hmm. script based. That's true. You know, that the, is true. What made that first season so absolutely uh, awesome was not that the scripts were necessarily anything new. Yeah. And the format was anything new. It was very much, you could tell that it was, especially compared to the second season, um, you could tell that um, Carrie. Um, Fukunaga. Fukunaga's touch on that made it yes. the cultural yes. icon it was. Which is the most interesting thing ever. And it's also like the most frustrating thing as a writer, because what's so frustrating is as a writer director, I'm like, I could have the most minimal version of this script and right. like make it a billion times more interesting than it is from directing it. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people, and that's where I think reading good scripts is really important, mm-hmm. but that's like such a frustrating thing when you're like, I know I'm probably just going to write this script. How do I make it feel like true detective? You know what I mean? Right, like how right. do I make it feel like that end product that somebody is like, Oh, there's so much vision in this and whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. The more I'm, I have to like, I have to write because I have to have a project to then direct. Mm-hmm. At, right. But it was very much like I felt like I'm failing the page and the page is failing me in yeah. terms of how I want this to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause in and, your head you're like, this is so cool. Right. And then you're like, Oh, what are the words for this? Yeah. But it's not on the, yeah. It's like, it's not on the page and I don't know how to, I don't know how to necessarily get it on the page. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just like, I don't have the verbiage, you know? But I think sometimes, though, it's like you might be a great writer and it's like it's just things that aren't, you know, like say it's cinematography or something. Right. Like, you know, there are just certain tonal things that come out in music and cinematography and um, performance and all these things like that. And I, I think you can write that in to an extent. But a lot of people will read your script and be like, dude, like, why are you? We don't need all that. Like, we don't need the color of the tiles or whatever. Right. And that's a fair criticism. So it's like such a weird writing it. The balance of all that is like tricky. Right. Well, and you, you read a novel and you can read the greatest novel ever. It's still interpreted differently yeah. between everybody, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. where, you know, even remakes of novels. It's it's interesting, like Shakespeare, mm-hmm. you know, how many great adaptions of a ton of Shakespeare have you seen all different, but all Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you get to a point where it's like bond now, you know, I, yeah. where it's like, what is this person going to do with bond? It's not yeah. about bond anymore. You know? Right. Right. Um, it's about how is this next filmmaker going to attack bond? You know, yeah. it's weird to think of bond in Shakespearean terms, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is that you have to understand. No, totally. And then the only job, 
for you to take care of is your execution. Right. Of that version. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you, you know, you can either kind of get anxious about that or be buckled down on it, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, that's been a lot of, I can't wait to like get to the end of harmony and then talk about all of the five years of lessons, like from writing to the end of it that, yeah. you know, so how are you feeling now having been in LA for close to two and a half years? How are you feeling about kind of the next steps of your, of the career? Do you feel like you're getting closer and closer? I know it's going to be a yes, but, um, are you excited? Is there still anxiety? Is there still um, imposter syndrome going running yes. through your head? You know, I, that I, I actually I think that's a really good question, and that's like a really like good. I feel like that's like such a that's um, a good question that covers a lot of things that I think people need to hear, and that I wish like I had heard. Um, and I think like the truth is, you know, people can tell you things and we're like, we're all so privileged to be able to listen to podcasts and like yeah. not have to go through the fire on certain things and get um, good advice and stuff. And I would say like through that lens, you know, it's easy to look back on the past two years and look at sort of the struggles and the hard parts and also like how long things take and be like, Ugh, wish I didn't have to go through that. But also like, you know, I am where I am because of that and going through that. And I don't know if I would be as strong or knowledgeable or whatever, if I hadn't gone through that, like it's that refining through fire. And I think, I mean, yeah, like, I think I, I, I have no idea. Like if I think about if I stayed where I was, I probably would learn a good amount through podcasts. Maybe I would direct a little more, maybe, but mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like I've learned so much about this industry because that's the other thing is like, and that's the other valuable part of living in Los Angeles is you throw a rock and you'll, you know, meet somebody in the industry, right. which <laughs> there are pros and cons to that. <laughs> right. Because there are so many weirdos out here. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, am I allowed to swear on this? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of, malarkey <laughs> out here that's, the classic, that's a classic uh uh podcast question am i allowed to swear on here <laughs> yeah yeah i've heard it uh, on so many of them no uh there yeah there's a lot of just uh, people um wolves in sheep's clothing out here as it were yeah. or a lot of people who haven't done anything and you know people say fake it till you make it and like i get that but it's also like not helpful because there's just a lot, a lot of strange stuff out here. But anyway, to answer your question, like, I, yeah, I think it's all been worth it. Um, I do feel closer to the goal, but I think it's it's been very sobering. And I think that for anyone, whether you're moving to LA or you're just pursuing this, and you know this, as someone like who's done the work and spent years doing the work, you have to be prepared to do the work, you have to be prepared to like learn a million times that you're not as good as you think you are. Right. And, but you will be, you know, like if you keep at it, you'll get better and you'll grow and you'll learn. Um, and 
I forget what else I was going to say with that, but yeah, man, just do the work. <laughs> well, we talk a lot about like, yeah, just do the work. Cause I, um, it's the only thing you can do, but it's also a make it so you can fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know, it's not fake it till you make it. It's make it so you can fake it till you make it. Yeah. And I would say too, the other thing that you have to be prepared for it, like if you want to be in this industry is the rejections and mm. the low points. And like, I, you know, <laughs> some friends and I were talking recently and they were kind of busting my chops a little bit about like, like, Oh, Scott, you and your contests or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, which is like, I'm not at all offended by that. I thought it was funny, but I'm also kind of like, yeah, but like, you don't see me, sure i'll announce and this is like also a social media thing comment almost as well but it's like yeah sure i'll announce when i place in a contest or whatever because like that feels like a huge victory because you don't see the five emails that i got over the course of the month that are like sorry you didn't place um six months later right from this day that you've been waiting for or the emails you don't get when you send out, you know, a hundred queries and nobody responds yeah, uh, or whatever, you know, like there's, there's just a lot of rejection. And like, the truth is too, is like, I, I think a few months ago, I would probably say like, you just power through it. But the truth is like, it is painful and yeah. it's okay. It's okay for it to feel painful. And it's okay for you to like process that, um, that pain and that struggle and then you bounce back, like you need to bounce back. And that's part of the industry. But um, yeah, man, it's challenging. And I think if you're like, if you're not preparing to be challenged, and you're protecting yourself from the pain, do something else, like do yeah. anything else. There's another aspect of this that I think we could talk about, because being millennials, um, that really kind of gets breezed over is the impact of social media. on your it's rarely talked about in the terms of filmmaking and the filmmaking industry um and filmmaker to filmmaker because um but i think it's worthwhile to talk about because it's almost like the average person is seeing their friends go on vacation yeah and it kind of makes you depressed because you're like well why am i not on vacation right now whereas with filmmakers, it's almost double because it's like you see your friends posting like, hey, I'm doing something. Yeah. And the immediate question is, what am I doing? Why am I not doing anything? Yeah. Particularly if you're doing something. Because yeah. there's so people don't under. Well, a lot of people understand, but. Photographers can go out and take photos. Filmmakers cannot just go out. It's easier, yeah. but it. When you're when Scorsese's like, just go out and make a film, oh even God. that is really difficult. I, you know, I am, I am going to piggyback off that and say, any person, I'm sorry, this is my personal stance on this, but any person who says, you get an iPhone, go out and make a movie, right? You are an imbecile, right? You go out and make them, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. You know, Soderbergh, sure, he proved you can make a good movie with an iPhone, but he also had a crew. He also had money and whatever else. And it's like, I understand 
when excuses are excuses. But the fact is, sometimes if you have the talent, sometimes the difference between getting on those big publications with your short film and not is what you're putting on screen, you right. know, like what kind of crew you had and whatever else. Now you need to grow to that point, you know, like, like um, Ryan Connolly from film, Riot Is a perfect example of that where yeah. he made the iPhone movies and over the years, he's just kept maturing and not like his last short film it's probably going to be really good. And he's working with this huge professional crew. Right. And you can't, you shouldn't look at that and be like, well, he's got a crew or whatever else. It's like, no, he worked his butt off to get to that point. Right. But don't tell me that I can just go in my backyard and make something anyone wants to see with an iPhone. Right. Nobody, nobody does. And there's a billion things like that out there. Nothing, none of that cream is rising to the top. So that's, that's nonsense. Yeah, it's well, and we talk about like, um, you know, in the corporate world that we both come from corporate video, it's about the quality. Yeah, like that's what gets you hired is yes. because the company is seeing, wow, these they make great messages and they look, you know, it looks professional. It looks great. You know, it, it's not because it's shot on an iPhone. Right. You know, that's right. ridiculous. Right. Um, the. You can do now. It's like, what's stopping you from making a sketch, a really yeah. good sketch, a really funny yeah, sketch, and totally. exercising the muscle? Totally. That's the thing. It's like go and shoot on an iPhone to exercise that muscle to constantly be putting out, constantly yes. working, 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 working. But and you the, should, and you should. That yeah. should, but that's the work that you have to put into. That's the making it till you can fake it till you make it. Yeah, um, that's the 10,000 hours or whatever. Um, yeah. Gladwell and, talks about, you know. Yeah. And you should you should make. Yeah. Don't nobody hear me as the as saying like you shouldn't be making those iPhone things. You should be making those iPhone things. But those are not going to those are not going to be the thing that makes you like, right. honestly, don't make a feature on an iPhone. Nobody's right. going to watch it. Um, but make a million shorts on an iPhone and then right. start making shorts on an, a mirrorless, then start making shorts on an Alexa, whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, I, and, and the fair point with that is story is the most important part. If you yeah. have a really good script, like all of our heroes made the crappy cheap version of, um, you know, like literally all of them. You right. look at every great auteur director's first film and it's like, oh, I could have made that. Right. But it's their scripts are simple and solid. Right. Um, so it, it just it becomes frustrating hearing that after a while. Yeah. Um, because but it, it's helpful, but it is always coming from a person who has had some success. Yeah. You know? And I yeah. And I always say, uh, this is this is like my mantra out here, that there are overnight successes, but there are no shortcuts to overnight successes. Right. And basically, people see, I, I think the dangerous thing, and why I think like this conversation is useful is like going back to the whole social media, like, you know, millennial thing is like, right. um, the dangerous thing is that people hear the overnight success part of the story. Like Jordan Peele as a horror director was an overnight success. Getting there 
was not, there were no shortcuts to get there. It took years and years and years of hard work to get there. Yeah. So when you think of mad TV, when mad TV was a big thing, you know, he was on mad TV. That's how he, and you know, that's how he and key met. And do you think of the time span between mad TV and key and peel their sketch show? Yeah. And then you factor in all of that work before he even ever got into the director's seat. You know, yeah, it's a lot. It's, you know, I'm sure like half his life. At this yeah. Point. And that's a good point about like when it comes to your path, like not being insecure about the path that you're on as long as you're working hard right. um, and you do have goals because sometimes your path is going to get you there in a weird way. Right. And you can't like people ask me a lot and I, I have yet to see where my path, like which path is going to lead me where I want to be. But people ask me a lot, like, well, why aren't you directing more? Isn't that what you want to do? And it's like, <laughs> it goes back to the point where I'm like, I've made the a thousand iPhone videos. Like right. I'm at the level, like I am at the point where the next thing needs, you know, a crew and, you right. know, a really good script and whatever else. And like, I'm sorry, but that costs money. Right. And like, I don't, you know, I don't have thousands of dollars to drop on a short or whatever. And yeah. Well, and the part of the directing part of directing is running your crew. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you can shoot all of the things you want if you're your own crew. And sometimes right. that necessitates it, but you do crew is helpful and adds to quality and yeah. you need to know how to direct them, you know? Yeah. Not just the it's actors and learning. Of, it's the whole thing, you know. Um, so it's, uh, it, all of these factors, you know, when you're really digging down into, um, doing the work, yeah, it, it takes a long time to get to doing the work and that's a lot of work, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's a and lot it's of, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard. I think that's like, um, I don't know. I, I, I will go back and listen to this hopefully and be like, what an idiot or whatever. You know? <laughs> right. Or like if you only knew or whatever. If you only but, knew uh, I was around the corner the next week. But these are the kinds of conversations like I wish I heard from like our heroes, you know? Yeah. And even at this phase where you're like, you're, you, you're just on the outside, but you're close, you know? Um, well, we talked about um, what are you, you know, what are we listening to right now to keep us going and stuff like that. And um, one of the, you know, you brought up and suggested the Seth Worley, Ryan Connolly, Film Riot podcast interview, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, but it's incredible in the same way that uh, if anyone's has the following DVD or is, yeah, you know, Nolan's like 20 minute interview about following. Yeah. The nugget I got out of that was in between the weekends he was filming for free with friends. Yeah. He was doing corporate interviews. Yes. And that's how he made his living. That 15 second sentence was more important to me. Yes. And all the filmmakers than anybody, anything else he said in that podcast. I or in, in that yeah. interview, you know, I love that interview so much, but I totally agree that it's like, I think sometimes, and it's funny because the, the podcast you just mentioned, it's like at a certain point, it's like, just kind of like a wallow fest. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But, but we can look at them and be like, no, you're not 
Like right. you're, you're doing great. You're going to make it, you know, whatever else. And they don't see that. And I can relate to that. And I think, but I think that that's valuable um, for people who are, who are working on, you know, their passion and trying to make it is like, you need to know, I, I it's easy to be isolated. It's easy right. to feel alone. And like you said, you brought up the imposter syndrome. It's easy to like, we all feel that imposter syndrome sometimes right. where you're like, well, I haven't directed anything in a while or like, well, I haven't, you know, I, I may have placed in these contests, but, but what about these ones? <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. It's like what dude, whatever. Like, so, well, yeah. again, it's doing the work and I'll bring up another, um, yeah, the Connolly. Well, the thing that I walked away from the Connolly Worley interview, which I'll put in the show notes cause it is amazing. Um, for a filmmaker is the fact that they they keep talking about like, I don't know where this I've done all of this years yeah. of running a show of running a weekly series about filmmaking. I've done all of these shorts. I've done SAG. I've done stunts. I've done all of this. Where is this feature going to come from? Yeah. Because everyone is like, when are you guys? I'm sure everyone around them is like, when is the feature happening? Yeah. And they don't fucking know. Yeah. You know, they both are kind of in a somewhat arrested development. Yeah. Where they're like, no, after all of this time, still no sure plans. And I don't nobody know. Nobody knows. Nobody. Yeah. Knows. And and the thing is, I think that's like comforting because your um, quote unquote break might be just around the corner. Right. But it might be seven years from now. Right. And I think, and you have to like one, you have to accept that even though that's very challenging, but that's part of life. We never know when the, you know, the big things are going to happen. Right. Um, but what I will say is that so much, and this is something I've learned for sure is like, it's easy to basically be like, well, it's all going to be luck and like something's going to happen at some point and the stars are going to align or whatever. But the truth is, you can, I have found that a big part of the way this business works is you can um, not mitigate risk, but you can sort of, um, you can hone in yep. on access points. Right. You yep. can, you can make yourself more um, focused. I don't know. Yeah. You can make your cream rise to the top in, yep. in a way you have more control than you think of right. like. You have control over quality. You have control over quantity of what you're producing. Um, you have control over whether or not you're forming relationships. And that's right. the other thing too, is like the whole it's who you know thing. That is not, um, that does not mean you just need to meet some sleazy producer who's going to make your wildest dreams come true. That means you need to be forming real and lasting friendships with people because and we all know you guys all know how this works. You know how this works. Like when you're when you're needing to fill a role on a corporate gig, you choose your friend because you're like, I like working with my friend. Right. Not not because you're like, well, if I get him on this gig, then he will make yeah. me famous one day or whatever. It's the same thing out here. So all of that is mitigating. Um, uh, you're making the odds. You're uh, decreasing increasing the odds you're stacking yeah, yeah. the odds in your favor exactly that is definitely a thing that is real and right. you should not be closed off to that but e doing the work is already stacking the odds in your favor 
Exactly. Yeah. So there's because, no harm. There can never be harm in doing work. Yeah, because people are go the first thing people are going to ask you, and we all ask the same question: is, oh, you're a director. What have you done? Right. Or like, oh, can I see anything you've done or whatever? Which, by the way, is the greatest question ever. Like, you should want people to ask you that question. Yeah. But when they ask you that, you should be prepared. Um, and yeah, like where I'm at now, going back to that whole kind of, not that like my identity is, is a director writer or whatever. Um, but I think that is like such a challenging thing out here is like, it's, it's a place where people's jobs actually are, you know, if you say I'm a writer, that's like actually your day job. Right. So it's hard to be like, <laughs> I'm a writer director. And they're like, Oh, really? And you're like, well, <laughs> yes, but yeah. for pay, I do corporate, you know, whatever. That's like, that gets old, but yeah, sure. There's a new, you talk about these cottage industries that kind of prey on, you know, creatives that are just starting out and, you know, yeah. what is worth it and what is not. Um, it's, you know, suddenly that with this explosion of all this video, you know, yeah. Um, and the crossover between video and filmmaking is just like a total blurred line. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a good thing I think in general, but there's so much discussion that we get inundated with, um, through sites like no film school, through articles on premium beat, um, yeah. you know, through even, um, I just had him on the pot. I just had, uh, Alex Ferrari on the podcast like an hour ago, but indie film hustle, you know, yeah. we're so, and Alex is doing a great job, um, with indie film hustle and I love his stuff, but there are times where I have to put it away yeah. because I have to like, not have my brain filled with the idea that there's every everybody else is trying to do exactly what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so you were asking about sort of the uh like the inundation of all the film blogs and Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I definitely I definitely feel overwhelmed by that. And I also think like um, you know, as much as we're not special and as much as there are people who are like so much more talented than us. I don't think it's helpful to have a mindset that like everyone else, you know, it wants to do exactly what you want to do. Like, right. it's really important to, and this is hard to do, especially nowadays, but it's really important to figure out like, what is unique about you? What is unique? Like every manager or agent or whatever will ask about your voice. Right. And like, sometimes you're like, what is my voice? You know, right. like, what do I have to say? Um, what is my background and what makes me interesting? And I think like, yeah, I think when you throw yourself into the pool of, I'm just another filmmaker. Right. <laughs> uh, that's like overwhelming and it's depressing and you're like, Oh gosh, there are so many other people. But I think, and I think that is one of the cool things in Los Angeles is like, once you start meeting people, there are less people who are exactly like you than you think there are like mm -hmm. weirdly enough. And sometimes I guess like in film school, it doesn't feel as much that way, but like, I don't know a lot of directors out here. There are tons I'm sure, but I don't know a lot of people who want to do the exact same thing I want to do. Um, 
and again, like the industry is so much about connecting the dots. And sometimes you'll know people who, you know, maybe you'll meet a producer or whatever, but they don't want to do the kinds of projects you want to do. And like, that's actually not a bad thing because it means that like, you're, um, it's not as saturated with Zach Grosses as you might think, you know? And I think like these online things make you feel that way sometimes. Yeah. And they have great info, but yeah. A lot of it's an extension of the, um, like the digital, we talk a lot about like the, um, the camera, the dick swagging, um, you know, like, and all the camera, like all these filmmakers, who know, all the numbers on all the cameras, Mm -hmm. um, and all the measurements and shit like that. And then, but they're waiting for the greatest camera ever. They're waiting to have access for the greatest camera ever to shoot their short film. And they're spending a hundred thousand dollars or whatever on it. Yeah. You know, and they're instead of just saying, like, let's just go out and do this. Yeah. Um, I talked to um uh the guy who runs DC camera, and uh that was kind of his, you know, he's a cinematographer, and he's like, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm not really up on all of the tech and stuff like that. Yeah. I just want to go and shoot. Yeah, you know, and there's a, there is minimal difference between what one camera can shoot and what one camera can't. But yeah. there's massive difference between a project getting made and not getting made. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I always think about like my mirrorless camera in many ways is better at capturing quality than the cameras that they shot Zodiac on. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, I wonder if those cameras were shooting like 10 bits. So like that is something. But, you know, they were Zodiac was shot in 1080p ProRes. Right on old digital cameras, but it's like, I mean, it's an incredible movie, you know? So that's an interesting thing in in of itself where it's like, I don't really need this, you know? And the look is one, the look is one part of what makes that movie amazing. Yeah. Which is crazy. You know, maybe 10% of it. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because it's a beautifully shot movie. Yeah. But the script is the killer, you know, the script is the killer thing in that. The yeah, performances directing. are the, yeah, it's just amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I, I, I just want to bring that up as a subject matter of like, even, you know, I feel, you know, I'm not in LA, I'm in DC where it's even less, you know, I get less connection than even uh, Griffin does up in New York, you know? Yeah. And you can feel really lonely, but yes. you can also be completely inundated too much with all of this stuff too yeah you know which is and, isolating too yeah it's isolating and even yeah and, and you just again though when i turn back to doing the work though that's when i start really getting back into the real enjoyment of it all you know yeah so i know it's I, I go the right thing to on, do yeah i go back and forth with that on like twitter all the time where like i kind of hate twitter like it's like it's such a I hate the term toxic because it's like so overused, but Twitter is such a toxic place. Like it's such a gross, awful place. It's like just where everyone brings their anger. Yep. And I'm always like, why am I on this? Um, But it's like, it's where all the writers are. Like that is the platform for writers. And 
I keep kind of convincing myself like, oh, well, there's a writer community and, you know, people read each other's stuff and whatever else. But then, but then I also spend time on there and I just get so depressed because it's like, you're just walking into other people's echo chambers. And, right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's like the whole other side of, and, and yeah, and everybody's doing their, their blogs of like 10 things you're doing wrong in the film yes. industry. And it's like, oh, just stop. What I will say here, here, I guess here's my solution to that. Maybe I'm wrong, but here's my 10 things you need to do. <laughs> but my advice against that, which I need to practice what I preach, something that is so important is doing your research. Yeah. So if you're sending a query letter, make sure it's not someone who you're going to piss off, you know, or like is like, completely irrelevant to what you're trying to do or what, cause they're going to, I've, this is the weirdest thing ever. I have received query letters and I'm like, why are you sending me a query letter? Like, right. what am I going to do for you? And we might be on the other side of that. Like, so like do your research and who you're reaching out to do your research on your contests. And, you know, if they can get you closer to your goals, like, you know, if you're spending money on something, do your research on who you're interfacing with. Right. And I think all that to say, it's like, I think, you know, there is a lot of good info out there, but you can kind of, if you know what your goals are, I think you can sort of curate that and find yeah. that for yourself. Like something I do um, is, you know, for podcasts, for example, like I don't listen to every single thing that some, you know, blog will say or all their podcasts. I will but you should listen to the full frame podcast. Yeah. You should week. listen to every episode of the you full frame podcast. Yes. It is all gold. Um, truly. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'm like, I want to know what, what our managers looking for, like right. what does, uh, annoy them, you know, whatever else. And so I will do my research and I'm like, this guy's interesting. I'll search him in my podcast app and I'll listen to everything he's ever said, you know? Right. So that kind of stuff is very important. I think. Yeah, and it's a way of cutting through the clutter. Yeah, you should. Yeah, it's um, the more focused you can be and the more it, the better your results are going to be. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's like you put in the effort and you're going to get back a much better, higher quality result. Absolutely. Uh, that's who I'm. I, I And I'm I think I don't know how people who are listening to the podcast, you know, Griffin uh, up in New York is interviewing people that he wants to interview. And my episodes, it's the same podcast, but my episodes are very focused on a very specific thing that I want to learn about. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's who I choose my, that's who I'm, that's what I'm basing my choices of guests on. But it's also why I'm getting a lot of response from those guests mm. is I'm making that connection saying, hey, I talk about this and I think you'd be great for that. Yeah. And they're usually like, yeah, I agree. This would be a good thing to talk about. Yeah. And, yeah. For, and for me to come on, you know? Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm very, I'm becoming very specific about who, in fact, I want to talk about on the podcast. Um, cause yeah. it needs to be, you know, part of it is also the work needs to be worthwhile for me. Yeah. You know? And it's, yeah. And it's worthwhile for, um, the guests or the listeners too, because they're, you know, it's not, it's not just like this person's a filmmaker that you've never heard of. So but like, it's topical and it's, yeah. it's information that's like expert knowledge that, 
you know, it's probably, a, if it's a question you have, it's probably a question they have too. Your yeah. listeners have. Completely. Well, uh, dude, I don't want to keep you for any longer. I think we've had a good, uh, this has been a good discussion and yeah. it's been nice to have you back sure. on the podcast. Likewise. Thanks for having me on, man. Um, where can people go to follow you if they want to follow you? Yeah. So, uh, on Twitter, I am Scott Jeske, S-C-O-T-T-J-E-S-C-H-K-E. On Instagram, I am sjeske7, same spelling. And my website is www.scottjeske.com. Um, you should check out my website because it has <laughs> all my, uh, it has everything on it. So. And guys, for those who are listening, we are going to put uh, all those links in the show notes so you can just click uh over to all of those if you want to follow scott so uh scott thanks for coming on dude thanks zach i had fun all right guys have a good week hey guys just want to remind you that not only can you find the full frame podcast on hmd's website www.hmdfilms.com but you can find us on facebook and most importantly you can find us on itunes where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe thanks have a great week